0: maybe 40 here i thought i'd uh, just do a show explaining some of the basics of the left right political divide now you might say oh the left that's just all about destruction the left never builds anything if the free speech was allowed if you had free discussion all right then the left could never win anything they'd be they're absolutely ruined and destroyed that's that's dennis prager's position i think it uh, really stands up to much analysis but uh Let me push back here on Dennis Prager. This is what I don't believe to be true. We'll play him at 1.25. He was rejected
1: by six colleges. Yep.
2: Oh, it's total discrimination. Oh, total.
1: It's because he's Asian. Harvard did this to Jews in the 1930s. There were too many Jews. That's a very famous uh, story. Yeah, you're right. So United Airlines is reserving half of its places for pilots to women and minorities. Not to the best pilots, to women and minorities. They may be great. They may not be. The, the And the left, because the left crushes everything it touches, and the issue this is another example anti merit means the end of the society in which you live. We will now go backwards, we will go into a pre mosaic world of, of of nepotism and in this case, not by family, but by race, gender and and sexual orientation. so your point, I want to explain to people why it was such a great point when
0: so yeah is that what the left is all about is it just really all about uh destruction it doesn't build anything it uh, relies on a rigged game to get ahead i don't think that's a particularly fair summary so of course i go to wikipedia the left-right political spectrum and i think this sentence is pretty useful so generally speaking the left wing is characterized by an emphasis on ideas such as freedom equality fraternity rights Progress, reform, internationalism. Okay, freedom as in your personal freedom to be religious or not religious, to abide by various uh, sexual norms, not freedom as in free markets. Right, the right wing is characterized by an emphasis on notions such as authority, hierarchy, order, duty, tradition, reaction, and nationalism. So, political scientists tend to regard uh, the left as including anarchists. Communists, Socialists, Democratic Socialists, Social Democrats, Left Libertarians, Progressives, and Social Liberals, along with movements for racial equality and trade unionism, also tend to be on the left. Political scientists regard the right as including conservatives, right libertarians, anarcho-capitalists, neoconservatives, imperialists, monarchists, fascists, reactionaries, and traditionalists. So... uh, been reading a book on political terminology by Andrew Haywood came out in 2015 so this is what it says about the left-right political difference left and right are terms used as a shorthand method for describing political ideas and beliefs summarizing the ideological positions of politicians political parties and movements they're usually understood as the poles of a political spectrum enabling people to talk about the center left far right and so on so you generally have the Communists on the far left, then socialism, liberalism, conservatism, and fascism. But the terms left and right do not have exact measurements, right? In a narrow sense, the political spectrum summarizes different attitudes toward the economy and the role of the state. Left wing views support more market intervention and collectivism. Right wing views favor the free market and individualism. If you go deeper, right? Ideas about, you know, sexual freedom. Equality, fraternity, human rights, progress, reform, and internationalism generally seen to have a left-wing character. Notions such as the family, the tribe, authority, race, hierarchy, order, action, and nationalism generally seen as having a right-wing character. So right-wing is usually more associated with nationalism. Left-wing is more associated with internationalism. So let's have a look here at the entry on internationalism. Oh, man, where is it? I just want to find internationalism and it's not giving it to me. Okay, I'll have to get my act together. All right, it's uh, Gay Pride Month, so what better way to get in touch with gay pride than by watching season nine episode three of the British TV show Peep Show" by Jesse Armstrong, who also created Succession.
3: Hmm. Once upon a time, I might have woken to the sound of a song thrush. Now it's a couple of guys pounding the living daylight out of each other. I mean, it's fine. It's just, when Jeremy had sex with women, I hated the noise, but at least there was something in it for me. Now it's like there are two Jeremys in there humping each other. That would be his dream. So, just to be clear, for for my records, you're sleeping with Joe regularly now. Can't handle it. I I can handle it. I'm fine with it. Just... What, you've gone gay? Your word, not mine. Sure, but uh, let's say you had a Wikipedia page, which obviously you don't, regardless of how many times you try and put one up. Would it say that Jeremy Osborne was gay
1: or straight? I don't fit into your tiny little boxes. I'm just looking for that sacred connection, and for that, I'd fuck any single member of the human race. Yes, yes, I believe that. You know I've always been a bit gay. I've always liked a bit of that, like with Pedge and Darty. You and Pedge? We used to get pissed and pull each other off. Didn't you? You should have. It was great. I have a long and varied list of regrets, Jeremy. But
3: not being pulled off by Pedge
1: isn't one of them. The thing about sex with a guy, it's like getting your car fixed at the actual dealership. They've got all the codes. You just plug right in. I mean, you like blowjobs, don't you, Mark? I'm eating a fruit corner, Jeremy. Of Course you do. But what's the most blowjobs you've ever had in one day? Like in the first happy days of a relationship? One. Right. Well, my life now is a 24-7 blowjob bonanza. I very
3: much regret starting this conversation.
1: Put it this way. I'm moving out and I've got a new address for you to forward my post to, Blowjob City. Jez, I've got to make a move. Cool. Um, here's that Beastie Boy CD I was telling you about.
0: Thanks, but I don't own a CD player.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, download the shit out of them. They're cool. Yeah? I think they start...
0: Okay, that's from the excellent uh, British TV show Peep Show. Oh, I still haven't found my place. So <laughs> let me play some uh, Richard Spencer. Now,
2: um, I, I genuinely do want Amy to join this. I'll try Amy to Therese. message her or something because I do want to know what happened to her. I think she I'm curious about her trajectory, but um, hopefully she'll get back on here. But otherwise, anyone else want to jump in on anything? What were we talking about? Tra- we were talking about, it, I think,
4: about uh, eugenics and this word. I want to ask if you'd uh, ever used any dating apps, Richard, and uh, what <laughs> well, your yes, thoughts are on these. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, we'd love to hear an well, anecdote, don't you, well, I I, I, for
2: I actually got on Bumble not long ago. And then um, there was actually like a, some stupid news story written about it. Um, that was pretty funny. Uh, but um, I, I, back in the day, I used like match.com. This was like 15 or 20 years ago. Though. A lot has changed
0: did you uh okay pretty scintillating content but not as scintillating as what i captured around 8 a.m this morning i I saw a hawk it captured a dove and then i captured both of them on this live stream so prepare to be amazed (laughs) so all the other doves all right all the other pigeons are squawking and screaming and squealing and protesting but uh, the hawk is unmoved, all right? So this is how international relations work. Right? Nations and peoples can scream and protest all they want, but there's no higher authority that's going to come to rescue them. In the end, you're usually on your own. And so the best way to survive is to make yourself as strong as possible by living in the center of the herd. So this pigeon right, got outside the center of the herd, I would suspect, and got captured by this hawk is having a field day and then the hawk just carries the pigeon away and all the other pigeons are squawking and, and protesting but uh, that's not gonna that's not gonna bring him back off goes the hawk with the pigeon in its speak nature red in tooth and claw all right, that that's the kind of scintillating content that you come to come to this live stream for. Oh, and uh, Richard Spencer talking about Amy Therese. Do you
4: ever have any interesting stories on Bumble or anything of the sort?
0: Well,
2: <laughs> yeah, none that I can repeat. I mean,
5: uh,
4: you know. Oh, out like of respect a... for the women? or
2: <laughs> Well, out of respect for myself. For no, no. Okay.
4: <laughs> Let's not presume. You don't have to presume it's women. All right, In I, it's, the it's modern society, head. you know.
2: Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, so I think Amy Therese won't, or Therese won't come on here. Let me send her a message though, real quick. I'm very curious. Has there been a has there been like a cold war between the two of you? Well, there kind of has been. Um, I remember when she was like, how would you describe her now? Like, uh, like she's almost like a Trump uh, person now or something. She's uh kind of like a Greek-esque figure. Um, Greek. What does that mean? She's kind of like a pre-modern woman in modern times. Well, okay, but she used to be a Marxist of some kind. And I did find, well, listen, her, I did find her very interesting. And, um, you know, we conversed a bit, and, you know, everything was good. And then, I, I don't know, I, maybe I got mad at her because I felt like she was just becoming a kind of trump or something. Um, no, she's in a state of becoming. But, um, becoming. Her, her, her true identity is emerging right now. So um, it's polarizing, but, you know, it's kind of a litmus test, too. Oh, a limits test for what? For, um... can like understand kind of like the future of uh of dissident politics i I kind of get where she's coming from i've noticed this with a lot of leftists like it's funny because i think the last time when we were speaking like five minutes ago i said that i think trans uh the the whole gender ideology like whatever you want to say about it it might ultimately be eugenic and then she said no it's disgenic it's It's gross get that stuff away from me and so she doesn't understand the meaning of those terms by the fact that she's saying that and i i think she but i I can kind of see this like i see a lot of these like mega communists and leftists use like degenerate unironically and things like that
0: Yeah, so Richard Spencer is disgusted that uh, Amy Therese would talk about things that she doesn't understand, and he's disgusted that she would opine, you know, with with great authority about things she doesn't understand. It just lacks intellectual credibility.
2: Pretty interesting. Because it is degenerate. It is. Well, yeah, but... You're just kind of new it's of, new politics new new becomings are emerging it's very it's
4: not vibrant. it's not really new as much as it is a, a rediscovery and a regrounding of what Marxism-Leninism is what trans- Well, yeah, that's, well, that's, that's kind of like a game yeah way. no I think what we're, what we're trying to do is like cut this in a scientific way so yes yeah, it's absolutely degenerate but like it's not disgenic it's eugenic because it's ultimately like turning infertile people that would have otherwise had children so they're kind of like being cut out of the future right I mean
2: well, that it, was it, it serves of one
5: purpose. purpose Amy thank yes, you sir? Sir? Okay, so I was just thinking, and I think if theoretically we lived in a world where the only way to acquire a baby or made of your genetic material is through the natural process of reproduction, then something like the transgender, like sterilization shit, like that would ultimately have a degenic effect in the virus that would be taking these, like, degenerate freaks out of the gene pool and preventing them from reproducing themselves. Right. But I think what we're now starting to get into is this, like, transhumanist arena where you can get these, like, absolutely fucking degenerate homosexual Buffalo Bill motherfuckers who will adopt everything that I've said for like a year and a half, sanitize it, wear me as a skin suit, have like other homosexuals come in their fucking new vagina, but then they can just like manufacture a baby made out of like skin grafts, made out of like the scalp, made out of their Buffalo Bill scalp shit. Like that's where we're going with this. It's not, we are not like cutting out the tall trees where they're literally like making it possible for the most disgusting and dysgenic people alive to produce, like to reproduce chemically and like magically in labs.
2: I agree, uh, but aren't isn't there dysgenic factors that have been going on all across society in general? I mean, like we have been breeding yeah, for obesity true. and stupidity, and heart disease is actually a, true. an interesting one. True. And so,
0: to- we we don't really know if we've been breeding for uh, heart disease. We we don't really know uh, what, what causes heart disease. So Richard Spencer sounds very authoritative, you know, sounding off on things that we don't really know much about but uh he doesn't seem to lack for self-confidence like a a typical guru
2: like solve i i agree that like i just think we need in your face we're at a
5: point where we need floods. just flood the earth salt the earth start again (laughs)
2: well amy I i hear you
4: Uh, I wanted to ask you, how do you have this like new like
2: trans stalker that like tried to steal your identity and like tried to like steal your friends? And uh, the other thing that I noticed with like trans people, they're talking about like womb transplants now and like they want to give birth.
5: Okay, so the easiest way to explain this is to articulate this concept invented by um, a Canadian social scientist named Ray Blanchard. And the idea is this thing called autogynophilia, which is where a homosexual male is sexually titillated by the thought of himself as a female, not by actual females, but by this narcissistic inverted version of himself as a female. And so because they can't reproduce, because they are in fact sterile, because what they like to do is come in the rectums of other homosexual males. What they do is that they find like a female whose skin they want to adopt. They do skin shit, where what they do is they hollow you out, find a respected institution, hollow it out, wear its skin, and then demand respect for doing so. So what these fucking sociopaths do is they take all the things that I get murdered alive for saying in the timeline, when no one else has the balls to do so because they're also fucking low-tier. They take all those takes and then they sand the edges off them and then they wear them like a skin suit and then they take all my friends and fucking alienate people against me and so I have to just be this constant warrior against the most degenerate goblins on Earth. Um, And it's a very exhausting process, but ultimately, like, these people are so far beneath me that there's never going to be any confusion. But the thing that they get off on is the idea of adopting the skin and the identity and, like, being inside and under the skin. Why are you specifically? Oh, it's because anyone who has, like... Um, like Giga Stacey female energy, that's what they need to feed off of. They're emotional vampires. Like they can't breed, they can't create. So anyone who's super horny female energy, that's what they want because they, because they are ultimately like in every way, they are male. And so what it, they it, need is to vampire that kind of essence of female. They need to suck that out of you. Kind of like a succubus, weirdly enough, but yeah. They feed on it, they're parasites ultimately. And I have super like, horny female energy that they come and they feed off that like fuel.
2: Is it related to, like, how, like, the nerds that become transsexuals that, like, start playing video games where it's, like, oh, I'm playing as, like, a female and, like, I get off to the idea of, like, me being a male? Is it similar to that or is it, like, almost like an idolization thing? Like, it's, like, this is a woman that I want to oh, become. Oh, shit. You know what it's
4: similar to, actually? You don't even have to think about it that hard. It's basically what, like, when, like, really pathetic nerdy guys identify with anime girls. It's, like, the exact same phenomenon. Only, only yes! Instead of, instead of just anime girls, they're doing it now with real women. Like, they, they, they take a woman... And they turn her into a, like a uh, persona or whatever like a like an yeah, internet it's, profile. I, I
5: really want to sort of reiterate it's not actually about me as such but, like because like they don't know me and they don't care to and it's not actually as, as freaky as it is i don't think it's personal i think it's oddly impersonal and has very little to do with me it's like literally a very internal kind of solipsistic thing in their own head they just take like the specter of a woman and inhabit that because it's not me. It's got nothing to do with me. It's not about me. It's not personal in a weird way. Like, it seems like a very personal thing, but it's kind of not. I don't know quite how to explain it. Um, It's just very narcissistic and inwardly focused rather than actually connecting with me in any way.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree with you on like a lot of this discussion. I I think the transgender question is uh, really deep and it has a lot of different like there's different phenomena that are occurring. I, I do think there's a social contagion effect. And I think there's a there's a kind of understandable, because what we're seeing, I mean, men in general are more perverted than women. Men are more likely to be homosexuals. Um, there are more gay men than there are lesbians. You know, um, men are more likely to fetishize things. Men are more likely to be perverse. Men are more likely to rape. Men are more likely to do all sorts of things um but so i, I but wait I wait wait, wait, now... wait can
5: i can i can i just break in right yeah, sure. there Go ahead. if if what we're talking about is something that is like statistically naturally more likely in terms of something like men are more likely to rape do we really call that perverse i'm not sure that we do evolutionarily i, did, it's I not didn't perverse.
2: call rape i didn't call rape perverse i mean i, I think rape is, is something else what, what, i men think it's are extremely to natural pervert.
5: like i'm not justifying it on a well, moral level but yeah. i wouldn't say that it's a natural like aberration it's not contradictory with like the continuation of the species it in fact fuels it that I'm, again, this is not a moral endorsement thereof. This is just simply t- talking in terms of like a- how animals reproduce.
2: Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that on a basic level and with your non-endorsement. But yeah. uh, but I, I was talking about doing things that are obviously perverse, like obsessing about feet or wearing ladies underwear okay, or something. Yeah, just
1: something Look, yeah absolutely. Look, this, yeah. Is not, about
4: this is not an organic, you know, roots, you know, coming from the roots phenomenon. This is being promoted by the U.S. government and by uh, private institutions i mean just last year the u.s government literally spent 2.6 billion dollars promoting lgbtq organizations and and funds and not only here in the u.s but around the world this, yeah, is, a, this is a domestic it, and foreign we've policy seen that, we've seen
2: this we've seen this happen before in u.s history it's, it's not just a total psyop these kind or not u.s history world history like this this happens at certain points in civilizations i'm not i'm not saying obviously the u.s government is being is facilitating it and
0: Right, you might say the last time a western civilization was this pro gay, pro trans was uh, Weimar Germany
2: and and so on. I agree with you, but like it, it seem, what you seem to be implying there is that this is some kind of psyop by evil, you know, Satanists in the government. And I, I just think that's it is evil. a little too easy. It is evil. Okay. But like what is declaring it evil? Like how does that help us understand what's going on? It helps
4: us understand that this is a malicious, you know, anti-human well, that's what endeavor. I'm
2: it's it's not. This just you, sounds kind of like. Why are you, what's going on. are you
4: why are you so, I mean, so hesitant to you know call out the fact that this is an evil you know fucked up thing going on? I
6: mean, what the, is the it? difference
4: between it being evil and it being malicious? Like malicious in, like ascribes like some sort of like intent. Like there's some sort of like inspiring force. There is an intent. But, uh, there's a very explicit that, that intent. Seems like, Describe. That seems like, like, don't
2: just say the U.S. government's doing this. Like you 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 kind of have to do more than it just like. What, Can I
5: also saying, add? Like I think Trump's it's much like, for lack even, of a Yeah, but for lack of a better term, I think it's far more dialectical than to suggest that it's simply top-down. I think that's a total fallacy.
4: I agree. Yeah, I mean, you're overlooking the fact that there are emergent phenomena that happen behaviorally, and whether or not they're just genic or gross or evil or whatever, it doesn't mean that there's a conspiracy of a few guys in a back room directing the whole process. It could be emergent.
5: There are, but I think it's, yeah, mutually, mutually constitutive. There are all these moving parts all moving at once and then playing into and bouncing off of each other. The idea that this is just some top-down op, like, M.K. Ultra, some bullshit, is fucking classical as far as I'm concerned. Sorry, and I'm not even suggesting that that was your claim, but just I just want to put that out there. It really bothers me when people frame this in this very, like, top-down, they're turning the freaking frogs gay thing. I think they, they absolutely know they're turning the frogs Be- gay. Yeah, because it imagines... Like,
2: it, it implies that we can like solve it with one weird trick or something. It's like, well, like let's, a, let's elect the and then no one will be gay or
5: I wish they were that competent and had that much control because that would be an apparatus we could take over and actually wield to to the good. But they're right. not. There's so much incompetence. The, the fact of the trials. matter
4: is but the fact of the matter is the vast majority of people all around the world in the billions do not support this LGBTQ you know, perversion and disgusting so activity. And it, the only so people promoting it? it the only people promoting it and pushing it are these Western institutions based in the US and Europe. You see so countries what? like China, Russia, so what? What I'm saying is this, China is, China. This is this is it's just another elite. factor. No, but the just...
5: don't create the civilization. So the idea that, oh, this is an elite pushing it. The world, that's an elite that's created every culture. So what are you talking about?
4: There's a difference between, you know, rootless, globalist institutions and people-based civilizations. There's a very clear difference.
2: Oops. Well, okay. what, what is America? <laughs> I'm just curious.
4: America at the moment doesn't exist.
5: Okay. okay, so well, we're do just you sure see how, many how angels can dance on the head of a pin? This is just silliness. Now, totally utopian nonsense.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we, we what's silly about it? What's silly about it? I love you all. Okay, let's uh, learn more about uh, Gay Pride Month. His season nine, episode three from the British TV show Peep yeah, Show? I think they started before I was born, and one of them is dead. Listen Talking about gaga. the Beastie Boys.
3: Oh, yuck, they just kissed. The gay couple. I live with a gay couple. It's political correctness gone normal. I really like it, Mark. Do you think it matters if I'm not young, dumb and full of cum? Oh, uh, no, I mean, you're older and intelligent and
1: full of cum. Yeah, except I'm not that intelligent because I don't really understand almost any of what the news is about and I'm not even certain that I'm full of cum. Oh, I'm sure.
3: How did I get here?
1: I'm sure you're full of cum.
3: That's nice. Thank you. So, oh. thank you. The
5: very one deep deep that
3: deep got deep away. And lovely and April. Lovely but you
4: know.
0: can't... Oh, man. <laughs> how do you... How do you beat such... <gasps> oh. <laughs> I mean, this show is just hilarious. All right. Here's uh, Mark Corrigan and uh, Jess.
1: Jess, don't forget your phone thought you were going to the cinema with joe whatever it'll start with half an hour of adverts which everyone sits through like obedient disciples of the capitalist dictatorship what the hell are you even doing
3: i'm making hummus
1: making hummus he says like it's perfectly natural no one makes hummus it's only hummus jeremy what are you gonna do next stop making your own pasta as a matter of fact i have made my
0: okay let's get back to the uh, big ideas all right internationalism from this uh 2015 book on political concepts so the term international society, all right, It's the kind of the opposite of the the hawk thing, right? This is not people, you know, acting in society. This is you know, cruelty. People not, you know, following the rules. So the term international society suggests that there should be relations, you know, between among states that are not like the hawk and the pigeon, but are conditioned by the existence of norms and rules an international law that established the regular patterns of interaction that characterize a society. So we're all in it together. Our common humanity unites us. So this modifies the realist emphasis on power politics by suggesting the existence of a society of states rather than simply a system of states. So it says that international relations are rules governed. These rules help to maintain international order so that hawks don't just swoop down and take pigeons away and kill them. So the chief institutions that generate cultural cohesion and social integration are international law, diplomacy, and the activities of international organizations. So internationalism is the theory or practice of politics based on global cooperation. So it, as a political idea, is based on the idea that uh, political nationalism should be transcended because the ties that bind the peoples of the world are stronger than those that separate them. So the goal of internationalism is to create political structures such as the UN that can command the allegiance of all the peoples of the world regardless of religious racial social and national differences while on the right we put a lot more emphasis on religious racial and national differences so the major internationalist traditions come from liberalism and socialism movements of the left liberal internationalism is based on individualism so liberal internationalism is based on the belief that universal human rights ultimately have a higher status than the sovereign authority of the nation. So socialist internationalism is grounded in a belief in international class solidarity, underpinned by assumptions about a common humanity. So people on the right don't really see the common humanity thing nearly as much. They don't look at people primarily as individuals with inalienable rights, but as members of families, tribes, and nations. And whatever rights those families, tribes, and nations can can provide are either going to depend vary depending upon circumstance that show uh peep show is a bit too much for you champs and chumps okay i love that show so feminism racialism and religious fundamentalism may be seen to support weak forms of internationalism in that they highlight gender racial and religious cleavages that cut across national boundaries so Internationalists basically condemn nationalism. They say it should be transcended. They deny the basic nationalist assertion that the nation state is the sole legitimate unit of political rule. Internationalists argue that nations are just political constructs manufactured by elites to maintain social cohesion and political passivity. So, the moral force of internationalism is evident in its association with the ideas of global peace and cooperation, and uh, one world government and universal human morality. So Emmanuel Kant is the father of this tradition. He envisioned a League of Nations based on the assertion that reason and morality combined to dictate that there should be no war. The weakness of internationalism is that it has underestimated the potency of nationalism, that it has failed to establish international structures that can rival the nation's capacity to stimulate political allegiance. So the dominant tradition in international relations has not been idealism, but realism, right? Which is kind of the opposite of liberal internationalism. Realism focuses on the role of power, politics, and the nation-state. So liberal internationalists focus on individual rights, global human rights. But the the dominant strand of, uh, at least in large parts of the world, of thinking about international relations is realism, not uh, liberal internationalism. Realism is much more a factor on the right rather than the left okay what other beauties do i have for you oh yeah I wanted to talk about predisposed so this is, the book uh, came out in 2014 liberals conservatives and the biology of political differences so chapter nine is can conservatives and liberals live together survive together and they have a great description of what a conservative town is like and a liberal town so Remember, left and right, liberals and conservatives, these are evolutionary adaptations that have helped our ancestors to survive for thousands of years. People on the left tend towards more egalitarianism, towards uh, less punishment of wrongdoing, and more innovative ways of doing things. They're more open to that, and they are less, less hateful about outgroups while people on the right tend to be much more suspicious and have any more negative feelings about outgroups. So what is a conservative town like? Let's call it conservaton, right? For conservatives, it may be the perfect place to live. It has a neighborhood watch program that's vigorous, but hardly needed because people in a conservative town tend to be law-abiding and heavily armed. So schools in a conservative town will emphasize discipline, respect for authority, and they will build their curriculums around rule based instruction like phonics for reading and memorization for math. Conservatants similarly designed houses will be well maintained. They will be clad in pretty much the same two colors of vinyl siding and fronted by beautifully manicured lawns. There will be a church on nearly every block. Congregants will give generously to them. Conservatant will be quiet after 10 PM It's pretty quiet actually most of the time except for one Saturday night a month that Night, the racetrack on the edge of town attracts some of the fastest stock cars in the region along with over a thousand loyal fans. Town takes pride in its high school football team and its amazingly crisp John Philip Sousa playing marching band. The restaurants in town are cozy and familiar. They haven't changed their menus in decades. They specialize in American food and lots of it. People in a conservative town will dress predictably and nicely. Conservatives will be clicky, they won't take to outside as much, and they will be especially wary of the residents of the only other town of consequence in the county, Liberalville. So, the Liberal community is a perfect place for some people to live. The schools promote experiences rather than rules. Their curriculums change with the latest fads and experiments. Houses are a hodgepodge. Liberalites emphasize preserving the character of older buildings, even if this means foregoing modern amenities. So lawns are unlikely to be showered with the same copious amounts of chemicals and water needed to maintain thick carpets of green grass. Some residents don't even bother mowing. They just let nature take its course and they enjoy the results. The town is light on churches, but it has many bars and pubs. It has community theater. It has coffee shops that sponsor interpretive readings and poetry slams. Movie theaters make an effort to bring in award-winning documentaries and foreign films. New restaurants are constantly popping up. The high school sports team is a joke. The most successful sports team is the girls' soccer team, and they only rarely manage a 500-season. The marching band is equally bad, but improvisational jazz group is known internationally and in regularly wins awards. The local kids in Liberalville are forming and reforming garage bands. Liberalville is never quiet. People come and go at all hours. Something is always happening. The loudness extends to fashion. Right? Conservatives wouldn't be caught daring wearing the clothes that liberals delight in sporting. Liberalites tend to travel a good deal, often abroad. The population of Liberalville will be more diverse than that of the conservative community. It's not uncommon to hear languages other than English. The liberals like what is new and exciting and different. And they're pretty much open to all kinds of lifestyles, with one exception, important exception, conservatives. I think that's a pretty good summary of uh, the differences between a conservative community and a liberal community. All right, here's a conversation between decoding the gurus, Matt Brown and Chris Kavanaugh on the confluence of the guru sphere. But yeah, um, mm,
7: yeah, so but we're not we're not here to talk about AI. We didn't they uh, not that we're like strictly doing agenda anyway. But what I wanted to discuss with you, Matt, just man to man, um, here in our private boudoir, is what I'm referring to as the confluence of the guru sphere. The cosmic energies that cause the gurus to swirl together in an ever-tightening cosmic spiral of shitness. (laughs) Um, I like it. Cosmic. They do.
4: They become intertwined. They find each other. um, And a network seems to be formed. And it's an interesting thing. You described it to me as a, a bit of a validation, I think, because when we covered pretty much all of the gurus most of them like we sort of considered them as like little isolated gems interesting in their own right yes they had these common things but they weren't necessarily connected with each other in any way shape or form but then after covering them and having identified them as fitting algorithm they then seem to inevitably find each other even gurus with no apparent connection
7: yes it is it is remarkable and that and it of course it doesn't apply in all cases, right? You know, Reverend Moon hasn't risen from the grave to collaborate with uh Eliezer Yudkowsky yet. <laughs> yet. Mm-hmm. But but there is a a clear kind of uh network and I'm not I'm not even saying that it's necessarily like you know a a organized network but rather that there are they're all kind of in the same melange, working together. And like, so to give some examples of what I'm talking about, like, um, we are planning to cover Matthew McConaughey because he has started to promote...
0: Ah, so Ramsey Paul tweets that uh, Tina Wilk, his co-host on Happy Homelands, that uh, she has died.
7: A weird self-help cult, uh, a kind of uh, like Tony Robbins style exploitative um, self-help marketing thing. And I watched it and it's it's really bad. It's it's very bad, which is a shame because I really like him as an actor, but it's and I, he was already a little bit weird because he cropped up from time to time on Michaela Peterson and Jordan Peterson's content, like, you know, saying some kind of weird stuff, but mostly just banal truisms. Um, and then so we're planning to cover him. He's on the docket. Who should show up on the Lex Friedman? <laughs> Uh, roster, but Matthew McConaughey, and you're just like, why? <laughs> <But> it, <laughs> that's and it, it is because he's promoting that uh shit show, and of course, like Lex cannot in any way offer anything critical in in response to somebody promoting, you know, a multi level marketing scam or a self help scam on this podcast. But yeah, the, the, there's that, and there's the fact that you know RFK Jr. Uh, coming out as a presidential candidate, which will obviously get him attention, but you know, he is a a sideshow. Figure, um, and he he is primarily famous for decades long anti-vaccine advocacy. He was he was one of the figures that people usually wouldn't mention that they liked. Uh, you know, like Brett Weinstein would have been a little bit.
0: And here's a question I've gotten fifty times in the chat: Do these gurus view vocal leftists as gurus? And the answer is yes, they have covered many left wing gurus. But as I am not particularly interested in left wing gurus, I. Don't, uh, I don't think I've even listened to their coverage of left-wing gurus because I'm not not interested in left-wing gurus.
7: But shy about referencing him at the start of the pandemic. Uh, now, he would happily endorse his book. So would Joe Rogan. And he, he wrote the book about Fauci, which uh, all the heterodox people, you know, Lex was saying he's looking forward to reading. And, and RK Jr. Uh, crops up. With Jordan Peterson, with Joe Rogan appearing soon on Barry Weiss, I imagine he will appear on Lex's podcast too. Probably trigonometry, mm. <laughs> you know. They just—it's trigonometry. Had Schellenberger on, you know, who we were talking with Renee DeResta about, and obviously there is a, a connection and these characters that they're, you know, they're kind of within the heterodox alternative media sphere. But it's—it's just—it is like a weird energy that they mm. they they're all meeting up and mm. having their conversations and yeah was it was it Jordan P-
0: yeah so you can basically get a good read on people by who they hang out with and they're absolutely right that the gurus do hang out with the gurus see most normal people don't want a huge amount of attention but one of the signs of gurus is they're absolutely insatiable for attention they recognise. You Know their fellow gurus, they, they recognize the monetization and attention getting possibilities of you know getting together w- with fellow gurus. Like, real scholars are not yearning, generally speaking, for attention, they're not, uh, you know, trying to manipulate you into having a parasocial relationship with you. Real scholars don't try to sell you supplements, but uh, like Dennis Prager is good friends with Dave Rubin. Uh, I mean. Uh, uh, like dave Rubin, uh ben shapiro like sam harris eric weinstein brett weinstein uh douglas murray these guys all pal around together because they're all working from the same shtick
4: all right it is he was talking to james Lindsay just
7: recently yeah, yeah yeah so jordan Peterson just had james Lindsay on um which is you know i i call back the
0: are all deviations from the modern orthodoxy worthy of ridicule no and uh, if you listen to any of decoding the gurus they don't just say oh all gurus are worthy of ridicule all gurus are the same so those people who behave and say ridiculous things such as oh the left only stands for destruction like dennis prager says or the things that uh, john peterson says about uh know what's what's animating Black Lives Matter. Oh no, what's animating Antifa? They hate God. That's the reason for Antifa. They just hate God. So when people do ridiculous things, it's worthy of being pointed out. I think it's our second and
7: third episode are James Lindsay and, and Jordan Peterson. And we've actually kinda of documented James's spiral into, you know, from at least nominally atheist, secular, still like classical liberalism to hard right MAGA shut head uh denying global warming arguing against vaccines and promoting election conspiracies and
0: okay let's uh um. let's get uh duvid into the show duvid what's uh what's going on man how are you um. so uh what's what's new with you i haven't spoken to you in probably about a month
6: um you're not much just though uh you're doing my studies, my streaming to uh ever everly small audiences I've done uh, six shows with Michael now we finished uh Shacharis the morning prayers went through a lot of it word for word and uh and then the last one we moved on to grace after meals and and a few other things like uh the prayer before going to sleep and uh uh the traveler's prayer. One of your watchers started watching that uh, this guy Arnie Haywood, Arnie Haywood, I think he calls himself.
0: Oh yeah, that's uh, that sounds familiar.
6: Yeah, that he's in the process of converting through the L.A. Besden, and uh, he's been he's the only one actually who. Oh, we have some viewership. I could see that. Uh, you know, like definitely people are watching it. However, he's the only one that's reached out.
0: Wow! And uh, any anything interesting come out of these shows and the discussions they're in
6: no not really i mean i think you know michael's i mean to me it was like fresh you know like uh you know like uh say saying hebrew like you know inspiration to uh keep going working harder that uh you know because he's out uh of uh out of the area like he hardly knows any jews and uh you know there's just one synagogue in his area And most of the people at his synagogue are, are, I guess, like conservative converts. There's only even a handful of Jews at his synagogue. And so just someone that's interested in it, that's not connected, has been uh, refreshing. So there's no politics. There's no, you know, just, uh, you know, like, I don't know, the Hebrew, you know, like inspiring each other to work harder in our Judaism, at least, uh, you know, the prayers without any of the politics or communal uh, difficulties
0: right but also without the politics and community difficulties it it means that you're not integrating into the the wider jewish community so is that is that a concern for you do you think it's a concern for him
6: no i mean i mean because i mean one thing like you know my parents i mean he lives out near my father's doctor's office so ironically that one of my father's patients also uh is going to uh the synagogue and she actually knew my father met her and she's like, but your father's not Jewish. Cause I I'd met her at the downtown synagogue years ago when she had been going there before it went to liberal. And yeah, I think that's probably better for me to be outside of the Jewish community. So uh, I probably have more long-term su- success. Cause I don't think it's, I'm, I'll be capable of integrating into the Jewish community, but you know, I, I'm better off as a friend to the Jewish community from the outside and helping uh, you know maybe like spread Judaism in a further place where it's not uh, not as strong, so I think that's probably you're know, better better for me than uh, um, you know this eternally losing battle of trying to integrate into the Jewish community.
0: You sound a little bit like uh, Jordan Peterson, who's the, a big promoter of uh, being religious, you know going to church, joining a religious community but when someone actually took him to church recently he was just absolutely bored out of his mind cuz they, they weren't uh, you know wrestling with the big issues that he was interested in uh, so so for for some people like the, the theory of religion is is more interesting than the concrete you know communal practice of religion do you resonate with any of that
6: well i think it's just basic protestantism i mean in, in the e michael jones claim that we've talked about that there uh you know his expression they're, you, they're, you, there's no protestant approach to judaism um but uh yeah, I, mean, I think that's general america people have uh you're know, very dogmatic strong religious beliefs they you know, pray to god talk to god in their own words maybe study the bible um, but they don't believe in communal religion and find communal religion generally uh corrupting and honest uninspiring so i mean judaism's I mean, you could argue near impossible to take that approach, but obviously you can take that approach. But but you know, like God forbid I'd still need a miracle to find a wife and bring up children. And if I, you know, even if I did uh, successfully find a woman that wanted to uh, you know bring up a family, then yeah, I probably have to like homeschool them or or uh, send them to like some public school or or you know some random private school. Uh, but uh, I, I think it'd be too difficult for me to integrate into the orthodox community maybe you as an older bachelor without kids has less of that issue to say you just integrate it's you know with with, uh without having successfully uh you built up a family and then having the difficulty of how are your children going to fit into the community
0: so has the community failed you have you failed the community how would you assess that
6: I don't think there's been a failure. I mean, I think, I mean, because a lot of people, you know, told me straight from the beginning it was going to be like this, and that's you know kind of why I've stuck to like I'm a half Jew, and uh, I mean the community hasn't failed me. It's just not for me. And, and this, you know, the community. I'm saying like I could probably go to synagogue, pick, you know, I pick up kosher food. I I go to events. Um, I don't know if it's failed me, but I think that the main services that the community offers it doesn't really, it's not really there to offer to me. So I mean, like, and Chabad's there for me. Aspects of the community are there for me. And then even like, okay, like my my local uh, young Israel, um, it's not really there for like to be a crutch for me. Like, like if I want to go there, I should pay. And uh, then I got to say, like, is it worth paying like, you know, $1,500 a year to be part of uh, that community? And uh, and then even t- as an outsider, like you have to work to be part of a community. And uh, I'm not sure that I would be willing to put the work in to be part of the community like I did for, you know, for years in Brooklyn. But uh, then also would have been probably near impossible for me to build up a family within the community, like as an outsider who did things for the community and worked to become valuable to the community, as opposed to like a father who had kids in the community probably would have been... A different scenario that's why i was putting back on you like you could be someone who's part of the community friend of the community but uh, what would it be like if you were like a father who was trying to uh you know put your kids in their schools and things like that and i'm saying the community is failing you it's just that it's it's a jewish community it's not designed for outsiders and i haven't been able to you know make myself an insider it's been too difficult for me
0: oh well, what, what about just uh, a very basic simple idea of uh, looking where you can contribute i mean surely there are things that you could contribute to a concrete Jewish community near you.
6: Well, I mean, I think at this point I contribute actually, you know, know, God forbid also, you know, with uh, rising uh, anti-Semitism, I'm more of a contribution to the Jewish community as an outsider in an area where they have less influence as a friend. So like within the Jewish community, there's very little I could contribute. And like we were talking about, you know, I would probably be stuck to contributing at you know doing menial service, or financially and at a level you know like Jews to some extent, money is our thing. So even if I have more money than the you know than the average guy, that still it'd just be a drop in the bucket for the amount of money for Jewish institutes. So I'm I'm probably more valuable to the community on the outside.
0: So you, I wouldn't you... say I'm
6: more value to the community as a non-Jew than I'm more. I'm I like uh, okay, I'm a half Jew but from the extent that I'm more valuable to the community as, uh, you know, as a non-Jew Jewish friend to the community than as a Jew.
0: So wh- why are you so convinced of that? Most rabbis are happy to have you know an extra person in synagogue. Most rabbis are particularly happy to have someone who makes up a minion. Uh, most rabbis are happy to have someone around who knows as much Torah as you do. Uh, Most uh, communities, you know, need to make a minion. They need to uh, organize to get things done, you know, to have have people, you know, volunteer to take on various tasks. Uh, Where do you think they wouldn't welcome your contributions in these areas?
2: Um,
6: Well, we've talked about this in the past. I said, like, no, I mean, there's not really much I could contribute within the Orthodox community. And so, okay, like, relatively like okay i went to good yeshivas i studied torah but within the orthodox community like there's so many people who like you know studied yeshiva and like rabbis and it's not really like okay they they need me for a minion in uh you know like in the satellite areas away from the community they don't need me for a minion uh, you're know, like around me that you know like uh, they got you know like none of these places are short on a minion and in terms of uh you know even the liberal synagogue now they have like three rabbinical assistants. And so like, you know, Chabad or something, all these places have like, you know, like a rabbi and like three rabbinic assistants. So like, they don't need like another rabbinic assistant, and it'd be, there's a lot of uh, internal competition. In fact, like God forbid in the Orthodox community, the one thing they produce is rabbis. And a lot of those rabbis need to make a living off of their Torah learning. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'd somewhat be competition. That's, I think we we talked about that where it's saying within the community i would probably at best be minimal minimal service like i'd probably be like driving around charity collectors or uh or like uh you know being like a janitor in the synagogue i don't think that they'd have any uh, special purpose to put me to Hmm. i mean you i mean do you i mean maybe your area is different but uh i mean it does not every like I mean, one thing, like, I am I mean, maybe because there's competition and they're constantly places trying to open up synagogue, but I would assume that, like, almost every established place has, like, you know, they're not, they're not like have nine people waiting for a 10. They all have, like, uh, you know, huge them, They don't need, like, a 10. And they all have, like, a rabbi and, like, five junior rabbis. And the problem is more getting the rabbis they already have paid than uh, trying to get rabbis.
0: Well, I'll just list off reasons why I, I disagree with you from my own experience of Orthodox Judaism. Every Orthodox Jewish synagogue of which I'm aware is, you know, glad for a new phase, glad for someone to make up a minion, glad for someone to contribute his, his talents, uh, glad to, in particular to have someone with some Torah learning, uh, glad for someone who can elevate the, the community in any way. If you can walk into a room and, you know, increase the happiness level or the, level of uh, torah learning or of torah observance or just by by your own dedication to your to your davening or to your torah study or to the to the practices of the tradition you you then get to uplift other people even if you're a bachelor right even if you're an eccentric character if you you know bring something to the table you bring a, a good spirit a humble spirit a contrite spirit a spirit that's yearning for god of the torah and for being of service to the Jewish people, I I find it hard to believe that almost any Orthodox synagogue would not be glad to have you around.
6: Well, I mean, maybe, I don't mean they're going to like turn me away at the door. I hope that they would uh, be glad to have me around. It's saying they don't need me. It's not like they need me for a minion or that I have any special service that I would be able to offer them. And even like the Orthodox community, like you're like, I'm not sure what I would offer them. I mean, like they got and uh, in what I would offer them, they probably don't have that much of an interest in terms of like secular learning. Um, and uh, it, so in the more orthodox, you know, places like uh, you know, the more secular learning, uh, um, they might not care about or they might prefer to somewhat keep that at an arm's distance. And uh, you know, then just things like uh, you know, having a television, um, being being part of a mixed marriage, you know, something like saying like uh, that, I have uh you know, like a brother who converted to Christianity or like non Jewish relatives, um could be relatively problematic, uh, you know, especially with like rising anti-Semitism, that there's levels of distrust and uh it's tough to get past the levels of distrust uh so the you know, especially in the in the center. So when you get further on the outside, uh but I'm not necessarily disagreeing, but I don't think they need me. Like they don't they don't need me like no one's calling asking me for my service. They might be friendly, you know, happy to have me around, uh, but I don't. I don't really see um, there being something like major that they, like they're not recruiting me to uh, contribute. Uh, and I think my contribution is probably more on the periphery. And and uh, and as I said, like I'm more valuable to the Jewish community as a, as a goy than as a Jew.
0: No because what about these Alex- days,
6: these days there's less and less non-Jews. Uh, You know, these days the Jewish community needs their non-Jewish friends of the Jewish community. So uh, or there's less and less non-Jews who are willing to put themselves out there to stand up for the Jewish community. So in in that sense, like, uh, more valuable as a non-Jew to the Jewish community than as a Jew. I mean, maybe I would maybe put yourself in that same. Maybe you have a hard time looking at like that, but I could also see that for you. That uh, I mean, although like you might you know be a convert and self identify yourself as a Jew, but to some extent you're more valuable to the Jewish community as a non jew than as a jew
0: right you'd find almost no orthodox rabbis supporting your assertion here I mean you're willing to you know disagree with virtually every orthodox rabbi on the planet right
6: because that's theological, but I'm saying on a practical basis on a practical
0: uh, basis every orthodox rabbi would disagree with you. I'm yeah, not but saying, that that, wrong, that, but I'm that, saying that you're wrong, but I'm just saying you're differing from, from every single Orthodox rabbi, not just theology. Practically, they would say you're far more valuable inside the community than standing outside the community.
6: Yeah, but that's from the believer's perspective. By saying, "What about your typical Orthodox Jew?" and we've talked about this countless times, where you've said there's a difference between the you know the rabbis and uh, and and the laity. So even if I grant your point that no Orthodox rabbi would agree with that assessment, what about the Orthodox Jewish community? What about the average person in synagogue? Do they see you more valuable as a non-Jew or as a Jew?
0: That's a a great question. And so I I don't think that there would be the same universal uh, reaction. Like I'm pretty sure every Orthodox rabbi would disagree with your assessment, but as far as Orthodox laity, I think it'd be much more of a a mixed reaction. Basically, members of an Orthodox synagogue want people around who they're comfortable with. And generally speaking, Orthodox Jews are not terribly comfortable with bachelors. Bachelors in their 40s and 50s are not terribly comfortable for most uh, Orthodox Jews. Is that fair?
6: Yeah, I'd say, I mean, to some extent, they're not comfortable with outsiders at all. Yeah. And so even if you were an insider, so if you were, you know, raised an Orthodox Jew, you know, even if you were, you know, a community leader, a rabbi's son and a bachelor, it would be problematic. Um, as an outsider it could actually be the opposite. That uh, as an outsider you might be more valuable as a bachelor. Um but uh you know, like I said, like you as a convert or me as a half Jew, um, I mean god you, you know, God forbid you could defend uh, you know, but, but I mean Jews are, are I mean scared or skeptical of outsiders and uh you, you know, with rising anti-semitism there's a lot like barriers people looking into you or you know, you're like you know, who's this guy like you know does he have nefarious motives and when you're an outsider it's more difficult to uh you know prove that you have uh don't have nefarious motives and then you'll know, god forbid like with rising anti-semitism or something like that then uh you're gonna you have association with the uh, Um, you know, when you're on the inside, it's going to be, you know, more security uh, risks and, uh, you know, questions about who you're associating with, as opposed to when you're on the outside, then you, you could be an ally or your friend defender of the community. It's much easier from the outside than from the inside.
0: Yeah. I mean, in many ways, it's much easier to, you know, be a lone wolf and to just do your own thing because you're not accountable to, you know, concrete people so yeah it's it's easier but uh what
6: are you saying you could be our guy in this other place so if they don't have you know our guy in this other place and you know they're, they either say like well this is our guy in this other place as opposed to like when you're stuck in the middle then you're saying well there's this guy that uh a lot of people are skeptical of um but but uh i mean so if you're in this other place the people are skeptical of you um you know just are you're they're skeptical from a distance and it kind of disappears and then you know the people who value that he's our guy in this other place um i mean you don't see that at all you've always been kind of in the center of the community you've never been like on the periphery where you were kind of like your guy in a territory where where they didn't really you know have much influence in that territory
0: yeah i mean obviously there were a lot of Orthodox Jews around the pornography industry when I was I was uh, writing on, on the pornography industry. So I've certainly experienced marginalization. But here's, here's what I'll, I'll share on this and perhaps challenge you on. In my life experience at 57 years of age, I find that people pretty much react to me akin to how I react to myself. So if I'm at ease with myself, other people are at ease with me if I'm troubled and conflicted with myself, if I'm at war with myself then other people are going to be troubled and uncomfortable with me. So I think our own reaction to ourselves, uh, sets the message and sets the standard for how other people are going to react to us. Any thoughts?
6: Yeah, I would largely agree with that. And then it might be how I'm saying, like, if I feel like I don't belong here, other people are going to feel like I don't belong there. And, uh, we talked about that the other time, like the like the handshaking ritual, like why I don't go to synagogue, because like, well, you know, after you know, everyone's gonna line up and shake the hands with the rabbi and I'm gonna shake the hands with the rabbi or not. And if I don't, like everyone's gonna look at me like, what's wrong with this guy? How come he's not lining up to shake hands with the rabbi like everybody else? And if I do shake hands with the rabbi, then you have that, like that fear factor that like, oh man, the rabbi's gonna like call me out for all the things I'm doing wrong and or the implication that, that i'm I'm getting myself into something i don't really want to get myself into in the sense that you know what i'm doing wrong uh you, you know so to say from the rabbi's perspective i don't want to change that so if i line up to shake his hand then i'm gonna you know like be a hypocrite if i don't start changing these things and like i, I, mean, I don't know if we came to clarity last time we spoke about that where or you agreed with me that That you know, there is this thing where you know, you go to a synagogue and everyone lines up and shakes hands with the rabbi, and and you either do it or you don't. And if you don't, it sends a big signal, and if you do, it could take a big psychological toll on you, like you're signing up for more than maybe you wanted to sign up for.
0: Yeah, no, 100% uh, agreement there. But I am just thinking off the top of my head now, what you're talking about may have absolutely nothing to do with Orthodox Judaism. I suspect that you're not. A, a, you know closely in connected connected part to any real life community that you you are isolating yourself it's not like you're you know part of a day-to-day stamp club or, or chess club or engineering club i i think you have steadily isolated yourself since COVID. is that fair
6: yeah i mean since COVID, i've largely isolated myself although I I actually I went to this like Mormon baptism today randomly like Mormon missionaries like hit me up on Facebook and then like uh, you know convinced me to come to their church and there's like a baptism tonight and so I just like randomly you know went in and uh, watched their ceremony and then like it's kind of weird. i i i gave the guy 20 bucks afterwards like, like god forbid this 20-year-old african-american who became baptized as a mormon like i walked over and gave him like 20 dollars after i was like good luck kid and uh um i mean i spoke. i was telling him well, like I, like i respect mormons and like I you know like mormons are you know seem to like good honest hard-working people but like i don't really buy it or believe it i don't want to become mormon um but I think, like generally, I'm pro-social. Like, like, uh, you like I'm still active in the chess club, and I think I could, uh, you go in and I mean, it's largely because I, yeah, I'm getting old. I don't really value. I don't think. I don't think there's much value in being part of social clubs. I like to read and do my research, and uh, I'm not, you know, really sure what I'm going to accomplish by joining a social club. I more want to uh, find people that have common interests with me, which are very rare. And, uh, you know, I, I seem to find better results online, just finding people to intellectual stimulation and, uh, you know, for occasional like business or conventions, I, I don't seem to have any problem, like, you know, going and, uh, doing a little business or, you know, even mostly now I do e-commerce or speaking to people, um, and to some extent, like, okay, I went to the Mormon event and like, they were kind and I was kind of like, yeah, this is really interesting, but I don't really want to convert. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like that now with like Orthodox Judaism, where I feel like, you know, like if I went to Orthodox Judaism, even though to some extent I consider myself an Orthodox Jew, where I'd be like, yeah, like I like Judaism, and I have my own understanding of Judaism, but I don't really want to prescribe to your understanding of Judaism. And then it's kind of like, well, what are you coming around for? So that was like when the Mormons years ago, uh you know, it's pretty nice. Like they were, the missionaries were coming to my house and we were learning and I, it was feeding them and they even helped me with my yard work. But like eventually, like you're going to convert or not. And then like, you know, like I, I wasn't going to convert. So like, why are we hanging out? So to some extent, Orthodox Jews are similar to that, like like cultish tendency where it's either like, well, are you going to, uh, you know, fully join in or not? And like, yeah, I don't really think so. And then it's like, you know, so then it's really, like, well, why are you hanging around? And so people move on with their lives. And so I give an example of the lining up to shake hands. So like, you know, even though the Mormons, like eventually this guy converted. So like I was just a guest and like, oh, like, we're so glad you're here. I shook hands and I spoke with people and it was all nice and friendly. But if I came a few more times, like eventually it would be like, you know, like they would force me to convert or, or force me out.
0: And did they have a particular affection for you because you were Jewish?
6: Not, I mean, it's probably mixed, you know, philo and anti-Semitism. I mean, so there was maybe only like 30 people there. So, um, you know, and it was in a African-American, you know, so it was like probably like half African-American, half white, and almost all like, you know, sort of say like FFB people who brought up in Mormonism were white. And uh, you know, like the, but, but it was in a, you know, like a mostly African-American neighborhood. So I, I would say it's, you know, it's tough because there are like 30 people there and five to 10 people came over, you know, maybe like 10 people came over and said, hi, five people, you know, we shook hands and spoke a few minutes and were friendly. friendly. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, you know, split and the people who just weren't interested avoided me and, you know, maybe, maybe made negative comments about me. But, you know, the only people who I dealt with were very friendly, you know, which is largely like most Orthodox synagogues. Where you know, like uh, most of the people I deal with are friendly, and then there might be a, a, an occasional person who uh, you know the people who don't like me. There's a lot of you know synagogues for 20 years, you know, like a decade. Like I've just never spoken to a lot of people, and I could kind of tell they don't really like me. And there's also kind of people where like I'm friendly with one of them, but not their friend. So for like you know, like 10 years going to the local synagogue, I would speak to like you know one guy. And I've never once, you know, maybe shook hands a handful of times with the guy who sits right next to him, like their best friend. So, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think social dynamics are like that, where, you know, it's like a 50 50. People like you, don't like you.
0: And how intense, how hungry are you for love? Would you say 10 out of 10, 5 out of 10, take it or leave it?
6: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm an INTP. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm probably in like a three. I'm pretty, I'm kind of like a loner isolation. I like just studying and reading. I'm more kind of, it hurts me that I failed in building up a family. And, uh, but I think it hurts me more the failure than being lonely. So I don't necessarily think it's like I desire female companionship or mind being by myself. I think it's that, uh, you know, I, 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 you, it hurts me that I failed in uh, building up a family. Um, I'm not sure if that makes sense to you.
0: Yeah, I, I of course I understand that and empathize with that. But what about just love from men, non non erotic? Just I, I have you know male friends who I love, and I, I presume they love me. How important is is that love to you?
6: I mean, it's semi important. Uh... I have to say, look, I have a handful of friends that I've been friends with over the year, the years. I mean, I, I, I could make new friends. Like you, know, like I, I started going to the chess club uh, back after COVID, and you know, I've met new people and kind of made new friends. And I could see, you know, making new friends. I might, I might try more, more to do it. You know, like Michael? I, you know, I hadn't even met him till a few months ago. And uh you know now I'm hanging out with him more than almost anybody else um so I mean it's good to have friends uh but uh it's a lot of effort to uh you go through the you know the social situations and then you know to break the barrier like you could go to a location and be friendly with people, but then to like take it to a personal level you know do you wanna grab a bite to eat do you wanna come over to my place um So usually I I, I just don't, like unless we have a significant amount of uh, common interest where where I think it'd be worth, you know, putting it to like to the next uh, level of association.
0: And what about maintaining, developing, deepening close ties to family, extended family and relations?
6: Well, I serve my parents like my mom and, you know, my mom's retired and in, in her seventies, and my dad's still working, but I serve my parents. I see my mom basically every day i uh you know work for my dad, I do basic uh things for my my dad. We have a business together so uh you know God forbid uh I mean my parents are in their seventies, and they'll they'll probably need more and more of my help so uh you know they'll they'll probably be my routine till my parents pass away and uh you know so it mean it hurts me like God forbid, I feel loneliness. Um, you know, I'd like to be married. I'd like to have a family. I'd like to have children that would take after me, although I'm not actively doing anything. I'm not dating. I'm not trying to, uh, meet women, but, uh, yeah, I think I'm mentally prepared. Like I'd like to be married. Um, but, uh, you God forbid, like, I don't even know where I'd start.
0: And what about your need for laughter? A lot of people really like to laugh, but I've rarely seen you laugh. How important is humor and laughter to you?
6: Not important at all. I, I have no need to laugh. I, I have almost no need for entertainment. Uh you know, I feel like there's these great mysteries that I really want to understand. So like you know, I've week in review and I'm I'm researching all these things and I realize these are you know, like you know, I I'm selling books. I have like thousands of books now. I have like seven hundred ebooks now and uh you know, I have shelves of books and I'm organizing my dad's library and my dad just has like uh you know like the mother though that you know, like he made, like well over ten thousand books and you know indexing and organizing them and we're selling books and you know and, and we have a business together so my dad's you know constantly buying new stuff so uh yeah and i'm kind of like hooked on these like mysteries that i want to solve and and like i realize i you know any of these subjects i could be investigating from now till uh you know, you know till the day i die so uh i don't feel any you lack of motivation. I mean, sometimes I feel like I put so much effort into it that like I got to seek out a community. I almost was going to go to uh, San Diego in August. They have a uh, a convention like of the science of consciousness at some uh, like uh, spiritual center in San Diego. San Diego, August eighteenth through twentieth uh, on a weekend. Well, I probably won't go, but uh, it, it was like. I'm streaming. I'm talking to people. I almost would want to seek out companionship related to expertise level, common interest. All well, I think is very difficult. In that sense, it probably have to be like professional or or convention. So I, I think it, you know, like, you know, God forbid, I've lost Jennifer. week in review. We we stopped working together. It's almost been three months. Um, but I wanted to be into writing and try to like write a book. And you know, I I bought myself duvid.com. I have my blog um but i'm not good at self-promotion and uh, i'm not sure if i'm ever going to get down to writing or if i did write if i'd be able to promote it in a way that that would uh facilitate like intellectual um i mean i know you wrote your book and a handful of people read it and uh, you know i definitely think our friendship or association has definitely been facilitated by the fact that i read your books although i would doubt that uh you know you you were ever like invited maybe a handful of times invited as like a speaker or or guest or that you know, having written your books like uh gave you access to uh groups of intellectuals or maybe maybe it's like a qualification where where you're part of a group of writers but not necessarily that they um you know because of what you wrote but just that you're qualified to be part of their group
0: yeah i'd say with the, the first book i, I... Probably went on sixty plus radio stations and various uh, TV shows. With the other books, just a handful of radio stations, and I'm not sure if I did any TV. But I certainly am treated like a peer when I, I get together with writers, and that's you know based at least in part on on my books. But let me let me pick up on something you're, you're talking about there. Where do you get the strength to do the things that you? want to do where do you get the strength to do the things that you know you need to do where do you get the strength to push yourself to do things that aren't comfortable but you you value them
6: um it's just training and discipline so i'm relatively pretty disciplined um you have know, like a good work ethic all, all like anything related to you know my persona i always take care right away i don't push things off um most of the time like whatever activities i have to do for the day that's the first thing i do uh you you know till the day and i don't don't uh, do anything else and i'll work at it till it's done before i do anything else um curiosity drives my intellectual you know like like i read and study constantly uh i think purely based off of curiosity because I've been more and more down that anything ever is going to come of, you know, my reading and studies other than filling my curiosity Like you know, like I'm going to write a book or, you know, become a speaker or part of some tour or write it, you know, like, I'm skeptical that that's ever going to happen, but I do it, you because know, I'm curious. Uh, other than that, like, like I said, like, okay, like God forbid, um, you know, I would like to get married and have children. I'm not doing anything about it. Uh, you know, like I, I, I see myself gaining weight and I'll start working out. Uh like like I'm hovering, you know, God forbid about two ten, although uh you know I'm feeling pretty strong. Like I do push ups, sit ups, I do uh, you know, yoga, stretching, swimming. So uh um I, I take care of my health, you know, like uh, you know, I spend active time. Um so I'm not sure. I think I just have a general discipline that I probably worked at in my in my early man man years where I decided it's not good to be lazy and developed relatively a good work ethic. Um, although, you know, God forbid, i lost kind of motivation for life. So the only real motivation I have is my intellectual curiosities.
0: Yeah. So what happens when loss of motivation and feeling down, uh, conflict with your discipline, I, I would have to expect from, from my own experience that, uh, I have a lot less discipline when I'm feeling down. So how about you?
6: Well, I said, I man, I'm pretty disciplined in general, but yeah, it's a discipline. Um, I mean like the Hasidic, like, uh, I think there's a statement like "Depression's not a sin, but it leads to leads to all the other sins. And, uh, yeah, when I'm depressed, I just have no motivation. And that's probably why, um, I don't really do anything. Like, I'm not really motivated to go out and meet people, to get a job, to, uh, you know, like dating, to be part of anything. Cause I'm, I'm kind of like depressed that, that, I mean, that you like, not necessarily like society's gonna collapse, but, uh, um, that, that I don't have a place in the world. And I, I mean, I think it comes cause I, yeah, you know, I, I, I basically went all in on Judaism and I kind of failed at it. And, uh, and therefore, uh, I don't really see my place so it's it's difficult cuz like I'm, I'm like a you know, like a uh, comment like a failed a failed Baltuva and like I don't even know how to explain myself you know so I mean like I went to the Mormon Mormon so you know I'll tell people like oh, I studied to be a rabbi um but then uh, I never you know, practice as a rabbi and you know, work as a civil engineer so I, mean, I I could give some sort of explanation but and I think you know, largely cuz like I said I went all in on Judaism and then to some extent, kind of like failed in my, and failed in my Judaism, at least being part of a community that uh, it's kind of uh, taking the will out of life for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I think everyone can resonate and re- relate to that because we've, we've all, I mean, you probably the same. This, you went
6: all in on Judaism and without Judaism, you got nothing else. And, uh, you know, so if you failed in your Judaism, you're already all in on it.
0: Yeah, if I failed in my Judaism it would be absolutely crushing. I haven't I've experienced failures in my Judaism, but I, I've never experienced a, a sense of well, I, I may have occasionally experienced uh ex- an overall sense of a failure, but I I've never stopped going to shore, never stopped having uh strong friendships in Jewish life and participating in, in the community. But uh let me let me ask you something. If you were to get admiration the identical form of admiration you know expression of of gratitude and respect for something you've done uh, for me it would be 10 times more powerful than average if it came from an attractive young jewish woman uh it would be more meaningful to me if it came from a, a jew particularly an orthodox jew than pretty much any other group it'd be more meaningful to me if it came from an accomplished writer uh and then when it comes to non-jews it, it'd be more meaningful and intoxicating to me if it came from an attractive young non-jewish woman uh compared to say an overweight plain you know non-jewish woman or, or non-jewish man but uh, what about for you what's your experience of admiration is it much more intoxicating when it comes from jews the non-jews is it more intoxicating when it comes from say young pretty women as opposed to non-young pretty women
6: I'm a goal driven person. So like, I don't like flattery. So I'm not sure about like admiration. So I would be more gold directed. So admiration in the sense that someone who was working together on something meaningful, I might even prefer someone who doesn't admire me that works together with me on something meaningful than someone who admires me just for admiration. And that, you know, that comes from religious training. I was thinking when you're saying I mean, like, Michael's been like the godsend, in the sense, like I don't know if it' say like he admires me, but he's thankful uh you know he, he comes like he streams, he listens to me, uh you know usually when we're done streaming, like you know kind of i mean God forbid, like lecture him about Judaism, but like kind of try to inspire him because I love Judaism, so I could see you maybe you as a playwright, I because i I don't read fiction or watch many movies, but I remember I was watching listening to a great lecture course series on the history of literature and this was specifically to shakespeare and like i've never really read shakespeare but I listened to the great lecture course on it and saying the model is that first you have a male friend and then that male friend switches to a female friend. the precursor to romance and also when we were talking about the uh uh psychology and uh narrative identity and role identity there's many people who think that uh you know adolescents friends are Friendships more important in adolescence, and male friends in adolescence are basically like uh, a precursor training for your eventual female mate. That I mean, nothing homosexual. You know, even in the basic assessment, but saying like you're very tight, you have a male friend that's your best friend in high school, and that person's kind of like you your training for what will eventually uh, be your wife. So I could see that, like, uh, in in general, I believe I pray and I believe in Providence. So yeah, like Michael, like a female version of Michael, like would be my wife. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, so, so like, I never expected, like, I mean, even just Michael that, uh, I mean, basically I'm teaching him how to read Hebrew for free, but uh, even that, like, you know, just that someone's like, wow, like, you, you know, like I enjoy your streams and wants to learn and wants to hear me ramble. Um, yeah, it's kind of intoxicating. And like yeah, I mean certainly if there was like a female version of Michael, uh, that would you know probably be my ideal wife. Yeah. Although he's not uh, he's not academic. I mean, so I like I mean I mean I appreciate Michael's friendship and him wanting to work together, but uh, you know he's not really academic. He doesn't have much university background. He's not much of a reader. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, just off his love and interest in Judaism, we've been able to develop a friendship in relation. So, I mean, it wouldn't just be a female version of Michael, it'd still have to be someone that would fit my personality type, but it, you know, it still gives me, you know, hope that, uh, you know, that that woman's out there. And that's also kind of why, why I started streaming, you know, saying if there's the right, right woman out there for Duvid, it would, uh, you know, probably, you'll know, be someone who started by watching my streams and, uh, you know, so I still, I still keep that hope out there. That's why, that's why I stream. That's why I put myself out there, even though, uh, you know, I, I don't get, I don't get, you know, I, I, see people watching me, uh, but I don't you know, like you have a chat, like I almost have no chat. And uh, you know, like my discord, uh, you know, God forbid, the majority of my feedback is kind of like still negative, either like counter-Semitic or, or, uh, you know, Jews harping on me for various reasons. So, uh, you know, like, I'll, I'll occasionally get a message, but I would say, like, um, even though, like, I haven't done anything controversial in really, like, a year, but still, like, 75% of my feedback is negative, and my feedback's pretty limited. So, you know, like, just that I keep on putting myself out there, it's largely in the hope that, uh, um, I mean, really, it's what Andrew Tate said it, but, like, I'm I'm on such a small level when Andrew Tate said, like, well, why is he streaming? He like he likes meeting people, put himself out there because he constantly still meets interesting people. So I mean I think that's why I'm doing it. So even though I get majority negative feedback, uh, but still occasionally I meet people in interesting connections enough that I keep on doing it and the hope that eventually you know somehow I'll meet my wife through doing this.
0: And if you met someone who did admire you, would you think that there was something wrong with them? Do you think they were broken in some way that they had misjudged you or would you welcome it?
6: Um, I, I guess I'd welcome it if it was made sense to me, um, you know, like, like in the sense, like, yeah, I I do a lot of research. I talk a lot about a lot of things that there's not much content on. So, I mean, people, like, I do have a handful of people who reach out and they appreciate my content and, uh, you know, trying to explain, or even just reading papers, uh, you know, like, uh, various things or, or even like Arnie um i don't know if that's his real name or not and and if he doesn't want to use that's fine but even him just thanking me for uh the hebrew lessons um i mean even arnie god forbid he said he said he had he uh you know said he was wrong about me he saw me on your show and and i think he, he thought i was like i don't know the word like a suicidal maniac or something like that but then he saw my streaming with michael and changed his mind um but uh yeah, I don't really need admiration. I might feel it was a little weird if someone admired me because I'm more introverted. So uh, it would probably I, I would probably be skeptical. But if there was some sort of utility to it where someone you know said, like, I really like the topic, I'm also interested in the same things you're interested in. And that's why I admire you as opposed to just kind of like I admire you um, and maybe you as an extrovert uh, or you whatever narcissist's tendencies, you might have the opposite approach where you you appreciate blind ad- admiration, as opposed to util- utilitarian relationships.
0: Yeah, I'd have to think about that. But uh, yeah, I love the teaching company, the, the great courses, uh, you know, wonderful courses on Shakespeare and hundreds of, of different topics from from the greatest academic teachers. Uh, how how soundly do you sleep, David? Um, I sleep relatively good.
6: Just to mention, I am in the top 1% of the teaching company's customers. Um, in fact, my, my dad, even thank God he has the finances he, he purchases, like he actually owns hard copies of like, probably like 75% of the teaching company stuff. And I listen to basically all the teaching company's content. So I put, they had a thing where you could see how, what, what, uh, part you are in the teaching company. I put my info and in, they said i'm in i'm their top one percent of uh, listeners so I listen to uh you know more content than basically anybody of theirs i, I listen to them two speed even um I sleep relatively okay like we spoke about that i mean maybe if you're living in a run one room apartment uh but you know like uh i mean generally i'm able to uh i mean thank god also being self employed where I don't have Tomorrow I got to wake up early because my mom needs me, um, you know, there. So I'll I'll have to set my alarm today at a dentist appointment. I set my alarm eight o'clock tomorrow. I'll set my alarm seven o'clock. But most days I don't set my alarm. And even if I sleep till nine or or on a rare occasion, 10 o'clock, it doesn't matter because there's nothing that has to be done. But uh, I think usually I sleep relatively sound. You know, I I just uh, study and read. And watch content till I start getting tired. Then I, you know, then I brush my teeth, or sometimes even brush my teeth uh, earlier after I know I'm not going to eat, eat or drink anything else that night. And, and I go upstairs, and most nights fall right asleep. Uh, and, and if I have like a, if if I feel that like most nights I'm able to go uh, up upstairs to my, you know, to my bedroom, and. Lay down and fall asleep within five ten minutes um sometimes even right away, and uh occasionally like, I lose the energy where I can't focus my mind to do anything else, and then I'll go upstairs and I'll read till I fall asleep uh but uh I still stay up till like on average like midnight or one most nights, and occasionally you know, like if I'm out. Um, you know, I'll fall asleep at like 10, like God forbid, at, you know, I'm 45 now. As I gotten older, I occasionally take naps in the afternoon, although most days not, but maybe like one or two days a week. And I do physical labor. So someday, like, I'll move like thousands of pounds of boxes, you know, I mean, just like tens, 20, you know, boxes. I'll be moving boxes and stuff all day. And so occasionally, I'll be like tapped and, uh, you know, take a nap on the couch. And uh, even occasionally I'll be out and be like two hours. Like, you know, I was, took a, decided to take a nap and then it's like two hours later and and I wake up. But uh, I think like relatively, I've conquered my sleep difficult. As a child, I had horrible sleeping problems. I couldn't fall asleep at night. I was tired all day and I'd have my head down. You know, I'd be up at like two, three in the morning, four in the morning. And then, you know, I would force myself to get up and do the day and I'd be tired all day so uh you know in in, uh but i think largely i've conquered my sleep problem my mom and dad both have sleep machines Um, they both get up very early go to sleep very early i mean my mom her whole life has got up like four or five in the morning but and they're also overweight so uh, both my mom and dad use sleep machines go to sleep early wake up very early
0: and have you considered going clean shaven
6: no i've had a beard like since I went to Israel in 18, I don't even, um, no, I mean, like I, 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 I've been burning it. Yeah. I'm still doing the Rebbe Nachman beard, you know, Hasidic burning. So I look a little bit grungy. Um, I'm not sure, like, you know, God forbid, like, you know, I'm turning gray, I'm turning white, you know, like, uh, but I think, uh, I think I just go the white beard. So I've, I've had it my whole life. I don't even know what I'd look like without it. Okay, and my identity my identities as a Hasidic Jew. So like, even like I'm a, that, that, saying, like, you know, God forbid, like, I still feel like I'm a Hasidic Jew, even though I've largely failed in the venue. And, and you know, these days, my level of keeping, I, I put them to fill in every day. Uh, I, I like I make kiddish and do Shabbos type things. But like my level of observance is probably like conservative now. But, uh, you know, I, I still see myself as a Hasidic Jew. And like without the beard, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I'd. Be, I'm, I'm. I don't think I'd be able to reinvent myself. I mean, I mean, I might be capable of, but I don't see myself reinventing myself. I, I think you know, I'll be a Hasidic Jew till I die. And the, you know, the beard, the yarmulke, tzitzis, Um I don't. I don't see myself changing that. From, I mean, I mean, I think that's the one of the things that kept us going here, also in our streaming that. You know, for whatever reasons our disagreements are seeing things different we're kind of like two people that went all in on judaism and had our failures but are still all in despite our failures
0: okay i'm gonna wrap up tonight any final words
6: yeah thanks for having me on yeah i mean god bless and uh yeah i appreciate talking just because uh you're you're one of the few people I talk with regularly and, and, and you know, kind of like uh, psychoanalyzing each other. It's important to uh, keep grounded and realistic. So I, I find these conversations valuable and, uh, you know, Elliot's uh, also, you know, he comes on my show and, uh, you know, we've been talking about uh, the book I actually watched. So I think, I think Elliot should hire an employee person. I saw maybe you advised him otherwise, but uh, you know, that's fine. So if Elliot wants to talk to me Sunday night, and uh, the alternative side where Duvid will disagree and think maybe you should go ahead and hire an employee, but uh, you know, God bless. Have a great night.
0: Take care. Bye-bye everyone.